As a matter of fact, I'll do that before I leave. After we're done with the whole thing, I'll get out my phone camera and I'll selfie it with us and go, look what I did today, you guys. Oh, I'm at Box and Lavender and this is what it's going to look like. Check out the thing below and then I'll upload it. So what do you think of the space down here? It's beautiful. It's really comfortable. Good. I'm glad you like it. It'd make a great quilting studio. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someday I'm going to get back to that domestic goddess. Right now the universe is pulling me in a different way. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Why isn't this working? There we go. See, now I know, I know how to edit and everything, so I'm not worried about anything like that. And that is recording. Please, God, keep it going. Don't let it go off. <laughs> if it does, then we'll just well, I'll face it. I'll let you know. No, no, I'm always looking down there. Um, yesterday, I did one with a friend of mine in New York, and we went through Zoom. You ever use Zoom? It's kind of oh, like I Skype. know. I've heard about it. My husband uses it at work. Okay. I've never used it. Um, I was so nervous. I actually emailed her this morning, and I said, I want to do over. Because I just didn't like the way the recording went at all. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome to Hawks and Lavender Rose. Thank you so much for being here today. I am joined today by my friend Donna Vio. Donna is an avid quilter, seamstress, and a teacher. She is a wife a mother, a grandmother, and a world-traveling bilingual optimistic being. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> Donna is the founder of The Masquerade Costumes and Quilts, and Donna is a breast cancer survivor. Welcome, and Hi. thank you for being here today. I love being here. So we're going to, st we're going to start off the episode talking about your journey through breast cancer and becoming a survivor and then we're going to move into your business of the masquerade so today is a very special day for you well that it is today january 28th is exactly 21 years from when i was diagnosed with breast cancer that is beautiful how are you feeling today awesome it's a good day yeah i woke up with a smile I love that. Because I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. That's what it's all about. And you get out of bed. A lot yes. of people can't even get out of bed. So that's there's right. Second thing to be grateful for. I, I neglected to mention how you and I met, which was, I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago. And Preston's going to be 21 in June. I don't know, Scouts. I had a, a it was a long, yeah. long time ago. A long time ago. So my sons were in Scouts, and I remember all of the patches coming home and being overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a sewing machine upstairs. I know how to do patches, but I remember, I don't even remember who it was, but someone said to me, why don't you contact Donna Vio? She does a lot of work for the Scouts. And I was like, great. And, and look at where we are now. I know. I know. It's so wonderful. Scouting brings all kinds of people together. It sure does. What a it great sure, organization. It sure does. All right, so let's talk about your journey. Yes. When were you diagnosed and at what age? It was 1999 in January, and I was 37 years old. So young. Yeah. People don't worry about that kind of thing at 37, you know. Right. It's the last thing you think about. Right. And what stage were you diagnosed at? 
It's a, it was, and this is what they told me exactly. It was a stage four aggressive, invasive, intraductal carcinoma. That is a mouthful. Yeah. If you could nutshell it for us, what would that mean? Um, that, well, stage four, it was a large tumor. Aggressive, meaning it grew much quicker than they expect cancer, breast cancer, to grow. Okay. So they tell people it could take 10 years to grow a centimeter tumor, and mine was bigger than four centimeters. Wow. And it took less than a year to get there. Wow. Well, about a year and a half, yeah. So very quick. And introductal meant that it was not just in the breast tissue, but had entered the ducts, the milk duct. Wow. which means that it could have traveled, and it did. It was also uh, in my lymph nodes, so I had lymph nodes removed, and I dealt with lymphedema. And wow. Um, wow, that was a creaky little door just opening. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's come to visit. Yeah, Hi. we have a little friend with this us This is today. a friendly space. <laughs> when uh, or how was your cancer initially detected? Oh, it's kind of a funny story. My feet hurt. Your feet hurt. <laughs> That's where it started. Yeah, I, you know, at that time, at 37, with young children, they were uh, 8, 10, and 11 years old. Wow. Or 9, 11, and 12, something like that. Um, I was super busy, scouts and school and band and all the things that kids get into. And my husband and I would do a yearly haunted house and... Um, and it was coming up to October. We were doing one over at the Derry Salem Elks Lodge. So we're building all the props and stuff at our home and we're dragging them all over there where we, we put in a sprinkler system outside in that, that space they have for cookouts and stuff. And it was just, a, it was so busy. It was so busy. I was getting four hours sleep a night. My feet were killing me. And, and being, you just assumed that it was just because you were so busy, right? Well, on my feet all the time. Oh, right. Yeah, you get up in the morning, I couldn't take five steps. It took an hour before I could start walking again. Wow. I had heel spurs really bad, and I didn't know that's what I had. I just knew that both my feet hurt so bad I felt like a cripple. And I didn't take the time to go to the doctors. Of course not. You're a busy mother of three. Yeah, and, and it had been a year and a half since I had had a physical. And I knew I was due, but again, I wasn't making the time for myself. Right. I had my kids to bring to doctors and my kids to bring everywhere, so right. I wasn't doing any of that. And uh, knowing that I'd be standing at a ticket booth at this place for two weekends on my feet, I thought, i got to get my feet taken care of. So I called up my primary care to get a referral to a podiatrist, who then said, you, the, the primary care said, you haven't been in for a year and a half. You have to come in for a physical first before I can give you... I've been there. So I did it. Yeah. And he palpated the lump in my breast. Mm -hmm. So if I hadn't had sore feet, I could have been dead six months later because it was that aggressive. So, oh. yeah, it was, it was my feet. Thank God my feet hurt. <laughs> yeah. Strange story. It, it is, but, you know, I, I understand just how everything is connected in the body. Yeah. So... I imagine you have a lot of gratitude for your feet. I do. <laughs> well, I'm a Pisces too, you know, so a, a fish with feet, that's just freaking amazing. Wow. <laughs> um, so your cancer was initially detected through going to the doctors, having to have your physical. And what did you feel when you first received the news? You know what? I wrote down several words because 
I thought please, about please. this. So I love me, it that you brought notes. I did because <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure I got the order correctly. And the first thing I thought, the first word obviously was shock. I felt shock, which just turned into fear. And then it soon turned into relief, a way out of this crazy life. You know, kids that didn't want to eat what you make or didn't want to do homework or were ungrateful or your husband who, who didn't come home a lot or whatever. I was just, this is a way out and I don't even have to do anything. Wow. And then the relief soon turned into compassion because I told my husband and he cried. And then <laughs> I get emotional. And of course it turned into love. For him and my kids. And maybe for yourself. Yep. And then it quickly after that turned into determination. I gotta get through this. I can't let this get me. Fighter. Right. And then gratitude. Thank God I have a second chance. That is beautiful. So shock, fear. What were the other words that you had there? Relief. Relief. <laughs> Compassion. Compassion. Love and gratitude. Wow. Yeah. That alone is just such a journey through emotions all and feelings. Within a day. Wow. In that order, all within a day. And then to be able to come to that awareness of that is what you experienced in that in that one day. That is a huge range of emotions. Now, other people might experience the same thing, but it might take weeks. Who knows? But it, you know, you hear the words, you have cancer. Uh, that's shock. I uh, and I kind imagine. of expected it, but that was shock. Right. How did you, um, how did you share the news with your family? Well, I right out told my husband. The kids, we waited a little while, a week or two, because we wanted to know what our next steps were going to be. Um, you know, surgery or chemo or whatever. We just, we wanted to have dates and a timeline in mind. We didn't want to disrupt their lives. Right. So we waited a little bit of time and we sat them down and explained that I was sick and I had to go through some re really tough treatment and I wasn't going to be able to do all the things I've been doing and that we were going to work out another way for them to keep doing the things they want to do. Right. And that, you know, it wasn't going to, you know, disrupt their lives very much, but they needed to know that I was sick. And do you feel that the disruption to their lives was minimal? Absolutely, That's absolutely. Great. Yeah, I had a I had a big bunch of support. Well, that was that's it. one of my questions. I, know. <laughs> I don't want to jump. No, 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 don't, no, no, no. go ahead and jump. Um, and my next question was, did you have a support system? Um, and if not, how did you overcome that to find one? Well, I did have a support system, so I didn't have to look very far to find one. You know, um, being so involved in the Scouts, the other parents... That's like a whole family right there. ...were supportive. I was also um, a founder of the, the Salem Babysitting Co-op, which now has a new name, apparently. I don't know, I've been out of it for so long. But um, we had 18 families, 18 moms with kids that all understood... And we used to get together once or twice a month for coffees and let the kids meet each other and see each other's houses so that everybody was familiar with everybody else. Right. And then there wasn't any problem when you needed a babysitter. You had 18 families 
to go down the calling list and find someone who could come take your kids, you know. Wow. And um, they all band together to help me out in different ways. Oh, my God, they sent people over to clean the house, going through chemo. You know, you're susceptible to all kinds of germs and nastiness. But people were scrubbing my screens and my toilets and my floors. And it was crazy how much support I got there. They were coming over with, you know, breakfast in the morning. And um, one particular woman, Teresa Legregni, was my guardian angel. Tell me more. She was just there for me every day. In what way? Well, physically, she would show up in the morning. She'd drop her kids off at school and then show up at my house and um, fielded phone calls. She can't take a call right now. She's relaxing. She's recovering. Um, she she kept a, a journal of when she was giving me pain meds and what I ate and uh, she made soup. She made after school snacks for the kids. She would get her kids from school and then be there when my kids came off the bus and she would keep them occupied and out of my hair and busy and she stayed there until my husband got home every day. She was there for eight weeks. Wow. Every single day. Wow. That is she is an earth angel. Yep. Absolutely. And what did that do for you emotionally and mentally and spiritually? Well, it, it um, definitely gave me some peace. Like I knew things were being taken care of and I didn't have to worry about the kids. And um, I could concentrate on healing myself. You know, it's mind over matter. Definitely. You have to, uh, you have to know that you can get well again. You, if you dwell on the fact that you're sick and you have cancer and you're going to die, well, I think you are. I kind of believe that, too. I mean, I, I haven't are. been directly affected. If you are determined you're going to survive it, then you survive. Then you're, you're going to survive it. You're, you're willing your body to get well again, you know. And I had the time to do that with her there, you know. And, and she would bring the babysitting co-op moms around and we'd have coffee at the house. I didn't go out a lot so you know she organized some things for us to get together. It was really nice and then of course my own family. My, my parents came up once a week. I mean they live over an hour away and they would come once a week. Mom would put in laundry and dad would putter around the house and find something to do. And Sounds like a mom and a dad. <laughs> we were putting in a, a swimming pool that summer um, floating in water. See, I, I was going through chemo and there's a lot of pain involved with that in your joints and one of the medications they were pumping me up with caused severe pain in my joints. Um, felt like somebody was hammering a steel spike through my ankles and knees and wrists oh my and God. constantly, constant, a lot of pain. And um, the one thing that, helps, that helped that, for me anyway, was um, floating in water, the pressure of the water and the coolness of the water. So um, we were putting in a pool <laughs> so I could float. Wow. Float my days away. Yeah, but that's great therapy. It was, yeah. I did, you know, I had Reiki done. I, I mean, I did a lot of things I, that normally wouldn't have been something I would have ever considered, but I was going to try anything and everything to get better. And I'm going to say that I believe that your your belief that your body could heal, that alone played such a huge role in, it did. in your recovery. It did. 
one of the co-op moms, Maureen Whitehouse. Um, she's also a motivational speaker now. She's in Florida, but um, at the time, she lived a couple houses away. She came to visit one day and uh, said she had she'd been meditating and ha had thoughts of me or saw me or whatever it was that she did when she meditated and thought she needed to come visit and and be with me. And I told her, it wasn't a good day for me. It happened to be a really painful day for me. And I said, all I was going to do today, Maureen, is float in the pool. I'll go get my suit. I'll come float with you. And she went and got her suit. We didn't talk. I laid there in the pool, and I floated with my arms and legs dangling in the water. And she just floated around with me for an hour or two. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I'm just going to pause for right there, and I'm going to cut this out, but the, uh, the door's open, and I'm absolutely freezing, and I can't concentrate because <laughs> it's so cold. So I'm going to ask you now, when I come back to the seat, to give a shout-out. Name them by name again. The oh, Teresa and Maureen, yeah. A huge difference in your life. <sighs> All right, better. Oh. I'm going to ask you to... Give a shout out to those women that made such a huge difference during your treatment and your recovery. Well, first of all, I've got to name Teresa Lagregni, who now doesn't live in the area either. She's in Colorado. I got to see her last year. Beautiful. And um, Maureen Whitehouse, who is now in Florida. She's not in the area anymore either. Um, oh, my God. Pam Seidel was a close neighbor of mine who was instrumental in, in helping with my recovery too and she's now passed away from breast cancer wow. and her daughters are still close to me and um, oh my god I wish I had the list of all 18 <laughs> families in front of me all of them were so helpful that is beautiful what would you suggest to someone who doesn't have as big of a support system around them like you do, there are, or like you did. I did, and but I was also told, you know, at the facility, I went to Dana-Farber and then over to Mass General, and they both provided support systems if you needed it. And I think that any place you're going through cancer treatment, they offer you um, groups that you can get in touch with for mm -hmm. support, and I think that's super important too. That if you don't have that support at home with your own family and friends, that you seek out these groups that are offered to you, you know. I mean, they're given to you for a reason. Right. I mean, you might feel shy, you don't know anybody, but you all you have to do is sit down. And, you know, and this happens to me all the time now. I sit down and talk with strangers, and um, I have no problem mentioning cancer. And when I do, quite often I find somebody else in that group of women has had cancer or knows somebody that's gone through cancer. Mm -hmm. And then the conversation starts. It's, it's not hard to talk about once you break the ice. Right. You just have to talk about it. it. I think the initial thing people want to do is never talk about it again and just pretend it never happened. Right. But it is such a big thing in your life. It really changes your life. And if you remember that you lived through that, you'll also remember that you have a reason to stay alive. You know, you have something to live for. And that sense of community mm -hmm. and how helpful it is in whatever support system that one can find or surround themselves with. Yep. 
What obstacles, if any, did you face during your treatment process? This is kind of a strange one. One of the biggest obstacles I faced was just being able to say yes to let, letting people help me. That's hard for a lot of people. You know, especially women. Especially women, because right? we're supposed to do everything. We're doing everything for everybody. So it's so hard to just stop and let someone come in your house and scrub your toilet. You know, I mean, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> but you have to, you know, you've got to let people help you. You have to let people help you. So your biggest obstacle was saying yes to the Saying obstacle. yes to the help. And then the other biggest obstacle, obstacle I came across was um, feeling invisible. Say more. So, you know, you are out in public once in a while. I chose not to wear a wig. I, it wasn't comfortable. It made me sweat. I, it wasn't me. I didn't want to put a bandana on my head. It didn't, it wasn't me, right. you know. So I have cancer. What am I trying to hide? You know, so you're out in public. People see a bald person, a woman. They don't know how to react to that. Well, it makes them uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And they don't know what to say or what to do, so they don't look. Right. So when you're out in public, all of a sudden, you are invisible. No one's looking at you. No one's paying attention. You don't realize what that feeling is until it happens. Right. You know, you, you don't experience it yourself. You have no idea. When you go out, how many people actually are watching you and or even, you know, glance at you for a second. Notice. Notice you. And then all of a sudden, never again. Like, wow, you want to jump up? Hey, I'm here. I'm that, alive. What you're saying is bringing me back to the importance of the community of support. Right. That, it, that one needs to be around going through the process. And I have a lot of friends and family. And, you know, um, some of them never got in touch with me the whole year I was going through treatment. And I think because they're afraid of what to say. Yeah. Um, they didn't know how to react to my appearance. They, they were uncomfortable. And then soon after hearing I was done with treatment, my hair started growing back, and then all of a sudden, there they are again. And what, what did that do for you? How did you see those people during that time? I, I, wanted, I wanted to be able to reassure them that I'm, it's, I'm still me. Right. You know? Um, were you able to find compassion for them? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I un because, you know, before I had cancer, I think I might have felt the same way. Mm -hmm. Uncomfortable and not knowing what to say. Not just somebody with cancer and a bald head, a person in a wheelchair. Anyone in need of assistance. Right. I mean, working with scouts, you feel the need to assist people. Before I was working with scouts, however... It is a little uncomfortable. And do you think they'll be embarrassed if I mention the fact that they're in the chair? or if I? So you don't know what to say, right. you know? And now, <laughs> I don't hold back. My husband's like, did you really have to say that to them? I'm like, <laughs> well, they're not invisible. Right. And I want them to know that they're not invisible. Well, we want to be seen. Exactly. In whatever way or whatever is going on part of being a human being we want to be seen even if it's hey nice ride you got there something right something you're a human and i notice you you know amen you know and and so that was tough i i think being invisible that was that was difficult to live through i knew it wasn't gonna last forever but right 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 how are you living your life differently you know what i'm gonna save that question for a second I'm going to ask you this question first. 
What three things would you tell a woman who just learned of their cancer diagnosis? Um, I went over that too. Let me, I want to make sure I get this right as well. I had to think long and hard about this to come up with three, three of what I think is the most important things. And so, the first of all, don't Google the stuff online. Stay off of Stay Web off MD. of the internet. Stay off of the internet. You'll be so frightened by what you read. Yeah, there's a lot of And that'll scare the I want to live out of you. Right. You know, you, you can't get caught up in how bad it is. And then um, make a short and a long-term bucket list. I was told that at the beginning of my treatment. One of the therapists told me that. And I thought, okay, why? You need something to live for. You know, short term, what you want to do within the next six months, year, two years. You know, long term, where do you want to see yourself 40 years from now, 50 years from now? I was only 37, you know? Yeah. Make a 50-year bucket list. You know, people you want to see, things you want to do, places you want to go, what you want to learn, where you want to see your kids, that kind of thing. So that's really important. And I did it. And I still have my bucket list. Now I'm like chomping at the bit. I want to ask you what was on your bucket. I should have brought it. I have. And you can see it's scratched out. Things are scratched out. I bet they are. So if you could remember one thing from your short list and one thing from your long list. Uh, My short list was uh, I want to be able to squeeze my hair into a ponytail again. That was on my short list. I love that. I love that. That and... um, See my kids all get into high school. Wow. That, that was... And you have. And I have. And well beyond. And college and yeah. beyond. One of the long-term, and now I laugh, long-term, <laughs> 21 years. But to me, 21 years was a long time. Mm-hmm. I want to hold my first grandchild. And now you have... I have four. Four. <laughs> I have four. And the first happened to be twins. So I got to hold two at once. That's so cute. And, uh, and that was one of the the later things on my long-term bucket list. Um, it's funny, I didn't think past grandchildren. I couldn't, that seems so far away. And here we are 21 years later to the day. And and those first two are eight, almost. It'll be eight in May. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite a few years since I've been a grandmother. And, um, and my kids knew my bucket list. They knew what was on my bucket list. And when I held those first two babies, I said to my son, Oh my God, a long-term bucket list thing I can scratch off, Chuck. And he said, you can't die now. You need to make another list. (laughs) What a great idea. Did you? I did. Good for you. Now I want to see them get married and have kids. (laughs) Oh, the grandchildren. Yeah, the grandchildren. I want to see them get married. That's my longest. I don't know how I get past that. (laughs) That's, That's a long time away. That's a great goal, though. Yeah. And what's the third thing? And that the you third would thing. Let me let me look at this again. Oh, just take a deep breath and always know that tomorrow will be the one day closer to the new and recovered you. Beautiful. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Well, In with the good, out with the bad. And sometimes all we can do is just breathe, mm-hmm. right? And I imagine that there were days where all you needed to do was just breathe, right? To get breathing through the day. Breathing helped me. Breathing helped me. I had so much stress. I had alopecia spots. I was, I was a mess before I had cancer. And I believe the stress gave me cancer. 
And uh, you know how it is. It's so hectic. Things are crazy when you have all those kids and all that stuff going on. And yeah. I, it was just, once I was going through cancer, I realized, you know, don't sweat the little things. Oh, my God. Life is too short. Just take a breath. Tomorrow is another day, another day to start fresh and clean and good. And especially when you're going through cancer, tomorrow is one day closer to the end of treatment. Right. One day closer to the new and healthy you. And, and uh, the baldness, oh my God, your hair grows back. In some cases, it doesn't. I have friends who have to deal with that. But, you know, for me, it worked. Take a breath and it's not worth going bald over. That's my saying now. It's not worth, not going, worth bald going bald over. And I'm reflecting as you talk on present moment awareness because life is happening right now. It mm-hmm. didn't happen yesterday. And God willing, it will be happening later on today and tomorrow and so forth. And I right. can understand why you have worked towards that. Tomorrow is another day closer. Tomorrow is another day closer. I would like to bring in a little present moment that when we are connected to things that are going on in the past, and if we spend too much time looking toward the future in fear, worry, and anxiety, it's robbing us of present moment awareness. And this is where life is happening right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And it's to take that moment here and to offer gratitude right now. Right. Grateful that tomorrow I'm going to be a, clo- a one day closer. Grateful that yesterday is gone and I am closer to whatever goal of you know through the healing process but definitely enjoying the moment enjoying the moment as much unless as you're possible. not enjoying the moment if something is happening that's stressful or fearful or whatever that's when i like to put myself in the future and say tomorrow right. is another day well that's a practice that right. you had that helped you get through some of the more right. difficult times but i enjoy the moment a lot now <laughs> good that's a great place to be yeah and to honor all of it mm-hmm and oftentimes we, we look at the challenges in life, and yours was a big, big challenge. And we can sometimes be like, oh, I wish that didn't happen. But it was meant to happen for a reason, and it brought you to a new version of yourself and a new way of being and a new way of seeing your life. It's true. I'm grateful. Exactly. Grateful. And often we can't offer gratitude, especially in the moment, right? It's really hard to offer gratitude when you're in pain, right? Mm-hmm. And when there's a level of suffering. But to be able to look back and say, I am grateful that that happened. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful place to be. It is, yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say about your journey, about today being this anniversary? Anything at all? Jeez, that's a... And I know that wasn't a question I posed to you before you came here. I know, but uh, like I don't have any huge insightful thing, just that another day, 21 years, I'm legal. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You can go have a drink if you want. It's my 21st birthday. (laughs) You know, that's what cancer survivors talk about, their birthdays, you know. You know, I had a sweet 16, and I got past it. I'm at 21. Like, that's awesome. It's amazing. Yes, it is. It's amazing, and it's a it's a great day. It might, the sun might not be shining today, but it's shining in here. And that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about the masquerade. Mm-hmm. I want to share with you, and I may have shared this with you, and, and you didn't put it to memory. There was, uh, they're called message boards. I used to belong to this political message board years ago. 
and my handle, my name online you did was share that. Masquerade. You did share that <laughs> And with I me. had this beautiful mask that was my, my um, what are they called, avatar. So the Masquerade, before we get into what it is that you do, I really loved reading the bio that you sent me. <laughs> and I learned some new things about you today. First, you're bilingual. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. You spent a year in Hungary during the sixth grade and that you traveled overseas as a teenager visiting your sister in Sweden, but you also traveled through Germany and Austria. As I was reading this, all I could see was the sound of music. And the I Alps. actually I started singing in my in my desk. I do the, I do the same thing. The hills are alive. I do the same thing every time I think of that trip we took through the like past the we could we didn't go through them. We saw the Alps and it was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So fortunate. What I loved reading here though was that you were really um, taken in by the traditional Hungarian crafts. And you talk a lot here about color and texture. And I just love that. So Donna, again, is the founder of The Masquerade. And she is so amazingly awesome at quilt making, teaching classes. I'm going to let you talk in a second. (laughs) Um, The costume. So, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to let you say a little bit about The Masquerade. Well, um, the masquerade as it is now, I am a seamstress, and I do alterations, and it's a costume shop. I do costumes per order. Custom. Custom costumes, costumes per order, and, uh, and mundane things. I do hems and zipper replacements, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's when I go to see her. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> I have 682 clients now. That is that come fabulous. See me. That's a lot of people in town that need things hemmed. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, when I learned how to sew, I was in, I was young. I was five. My grandmother taught me in six. And, and then again, in junior high school, we had to take it as home ec. Um, I don't yep, think they that's offer that anymore. Yeah, everybody learned. <gasps> they don't offer it anymore? Mm-hmm. That's wrong. I think it They don't. And so a lot of people I see that are my age, you'd think they'd know how to do a hem, but no. And that's okay. That's what I'm I here do. for. I do. I would just rather bring rather it to not. you. Yeah, rather not. Yeah, and other people feel that way too. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm here for. I love to do it. So I love being the masquerade. I love doing what I do. I love sewing. But I even love more playing with color and shape and design. And that's why I got back into quilting. I started quilting in 1978. I was in high school. And... Um, when you sew and you're making clothing, I used to make all of my own clothes, a lot of them, more than half of my clothes I made wow. myself. Um, if you have ever cut out a pattern, and most people listening probably have not, there's a lot of scrap on the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, you cut out the shapes you need and you throw away the, and I couldn't throw away scrap, you know. My mother was a stickler for no, no waste. There is no waste in this house. And so what do you do with that stuff? Well, I cut it into squares. I put it into quilts. I made things out of it. So I was quilting in a smaller way than I do now, but I was quilting. And uh, I started doing it for other people, not quilting, but sewing for other people. I made my sister's wedding gown and my brother's sister-in-law's wedding gown and 
um, one of my friends and my own and all the bridesmaids' dresses. <laughs> I just started doing that stuff before I was even 19 years old. Wow. And then I realized, geez, I could make money at this. Yeah. So as I went out into the world in college, I went to Swain School of Design. Because I'm into design and color and that kind of stuff, I really wanted to be a graphic artist. I wanted to, to illustrate children's books is what my desire was at the time. Um, but then I wanted to be more hands-on, something bigger, and, and wanted to do costuming and work with color and flashy and big and beautiful that, you know, it has a bigger world, I think, than children's books, even though they're huge. Yeah. Um, sure it just are. seemed like a bigger way to express myself and, uh, and, and not sitting so still, you know, stretching and cutting and holding up fabric. And that to me was more physical than drawing pictures. So, and you liked the more physical. I liked the more physical. I'm curious though, would a children's book be on one of your bucket lists? It has been. And I've actually written a couple, didn't publish them. I would love to publish them. Um, I um, didn't illustrate it myself, though. I wrote it and didn't illustrate it because I had too many things on my plate that I was I was doing work for people. Right. I didn't have time to sit and do that, but yet uh, my son's friend's got a wife who does this as a living, and she went in with me and, and illustrated the first book for me. I have 10 of these. It's a series, and there's a series of 10. I've written the first three. I have the ideas down. Actually, five. I have five of them written, so I have half of them written. She got busy, couldn't illustrate the second one or the third one, and I just dropped the project. I dropped the project, but it's there. It's there, it's okay. and someday... You might have dropped it, but it's not dead. And It's not. <laughs> someday it'll get finished. And it was for my for my grandchildren, my first granddaughters. It was the what the series is about. Um, it's called Isabel. The The girls are Isabel and Madeline, and Madeline has a whole series of books out yeah, there. Yeah, she does. Right? Yeah. But Isabel doesn't. So I had to have a, ser a series for Isabel. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you can come back on um, sometime in the future to promote your book series. Maybe. <laughs> the publication of all of your books. Yeah, yeah. Once I get them published. <laughs> that's a long-term thing for me. When I'm not doing so much sewing, I can... Then illustrate them myself. Yeah, but that seems to be where your passion is right now. It and is. Your purpose is, it in is sewing. Yeah. And so, what what is your mission or your motivation behind starting this business? Well, first of all, I wanted to do something that made me happy every day. You know, after cancer, this is my life. I life isn't worth being miserable over. Absolutely. And not. I didn't want to work for somebody else and be miserable sitting at a desk like I had been for all those years. I mean, as much as I was doing this stuff as a teenager and my early marriage, I always had a desk job somewhere. And then I would come home and work on the projects that people were paying me to do, and I would work on them at night. And I, I didn't have a lot of time to myself, right. really. And... Um, I kept it going until 1990 when I moved up here. I was in Massachusetts in Quincy. I moved up here and I didn't tell my client base I was moving. It was the worst thing I could have possibly done. But I was busy with the move and the little kids and the new community. And I didn't think anybody would come from Quincy all the way up here Quincy's to have something hemmed. This is a ways away from here. And, I, and so I figured, well, you know, I'm... I'm leaving town, is all I said. I'm leaving town, sorry. You'll have to find another seamstress. And off I came. And and then I kind of didn't sew for about nine years because 
It was nuts. That's I, a big transition. I had an eight-month-old, and I had a four-year-old. Yeah, that's a lot. And I had one in between. <laughs> so I, I was really busy, and I spent nine years not sewing, and then realized I wasn't happy all the time dealing with this and working. I was working part-time at night, so my husband would be home with them while I went out and worked at night, and um, I thought, i got to get back into sewing. I I don't enjoy what I'm doing, but I never did, and that became the crazy time, and then I got cancer, and then I realized, ha, I'm going to sew. It's interesting (laughs) because I believe that um, our higher selves, our soul, whatever you want to call it, our spirit, the universe, God, speaks to us and whispers of where we're supposed to be going, what direction to take, and, and though you heard it, right? So many other things were more of a priority for you Mm -hmm. until the universe says, okay, it's your turn. Now it's time. Like we've been whispering and now here you go. Here is a diagnosis of cancer and this is what it's going to take to move you in the direction. I had a lot of time laying on my back thinking about this. I bet. It's six months of recovery and chemotherapy and yeah, I did go back to work. My job was held for me. My nine That's to five nice. desk job. How long did you last after you went back? <clears throat> um, well, in 2005, so five years, I quit that job um, and was going to take some time to myself and realized, well, maybe I need a creative job. Mm-hmm. And so after a year of looking around, I worked for Malda Mills Retail Store mm-hmm. where I could help demonstrate um, how to make fleece things and talk to people about their projects they were making, cutting fleece for people. And I bet that felt so good. It really did, and then the store closed. <laughs> so I was left without work again, and this is when my husband said to me, why don't you just do what you always do? Right. You know, even while I was working at Malden Mills, I was taking on work from people that were coming in that needed alterations. These are people that sew, and they were buying fleece to make fleece things. But they didn't want to replace a zipper. Uh, they didn't know how to how to design a costume, and so I started up a new client base, and I was doing this at night, you know, on top of working. And so when that store closed, um, I actually did get one more desk job. I worked as an insurance um, as a receptionist in an insurance agency, and uh, when I got laid off from there, that's when my husband said to me, "Stop looking for a desk job. You're miserable." Right. And um, that's when I registered the masquerade with New Hampshire as a business. It. So it's it's been 15 years. I've been working for myself, and I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, you already talked a little bit about the services you offer. I'm going to ask you to just mention briefly the fairs that you do. Well, I actually stopped doing fairs. You're not doing them anymore. I'm not doing any. I was doing the uh, New Hampshire Renaissance Fair. For yep. 12 years, I did the New Hampshire Renaissance okay. Fair. I was on the board of directors. And, um, and making all the costumes. Making the costumes, filling up racks full of Renaissance costumes. Um, and even that got too much because I have so many clients coming in with the everyday stuff. Right. And proms and wedding season happens to be in May when the fair was. That's a lot. Um, I found myself getting four or five hours sleep a night because I was staying up trying to make costumes to put on my racks to sell at the fair. And when I realized I don't have time to make things that I'm not sure will sell, I will just take orders. 
You know, I, why waste my time and fabric materials making a size six in blue of this style? It might be gorgeous, but a size 10 is going to walk in and it's not going to fit her. She's going to order one anyway. Right. So, yeah, I stopped. I stopped. After 12 years, I said I have to, you know, I, I started feeling stress. I started not waking up with a smile and I realized, what is going on in my life? Oh, too much stress, too much work. I have to stop. And something had to go that went. So I don't do the fairs anymore. But I Good. do say it's a great fair. It's, it's a not-for-profit fair. They're, you know, a nonprofit organization. And the board of directors, they're not getting paid. I was on the board for 12 years. I put a lot of hours into yeah, working for that fair. And I didn't get paid. But I did it because the money was going to charity. And I'm, I'm just like that. I give. I like to give. This is my way of giving back. You know, I got another chance at life. This is, this is how I give back. I love that. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the services that you offer and the classes that you teach, and then we're going to move into your philosophy of, of what you create in your mm. space. Well, um, I also offer, other than the costuming and the alterations, I do an embroidery service. So I can digitize logos and put them onto polo shirts and hats and that kind of thing. And my embroidery service, I've been embroidering faces on teddy bears for an organization called Jamie's Fund. It's another organization that's charitable, and they make these teddy bears. They give them away to um, homeless shelters and police stations and hospitals and anywhere kids are that might be in a stressful situation oh, that might need a hug. You know, they get a bear nice. for free, comes with a book. Um, Jamie's Fund. It's an awesome organization, and I still do that kind of thing. So I'll provide my space for people to come in and help make bears. They don't get paid to do it. It's just we all get together. We sew bears. That's that's a fun thing to do. So it's nice. one of the charitable things I'm doing now, um, as as well as making money with my embroidery. Right. I I also do that, and um, I like to travel and teach classes. I have antique sewing machines that I like to pull out, and you've been to I've one of those. Them. They're and, so cool. Uh, I like to travel with those and share that little bit of history with people. You know, the Industrial Revolution was a huge thing. Um, and the sewing machine, when it came into the home and women could start making things they needed, curtains, bedspreads, clothing, whatever, right. that was a huge step in life for people, I think. Mm -hmm. And I like to share that. Um, and then the quilting classes, obviously. I offer beginner, intermediate um, Simple classes, simple quilts with pieces that have already been cut that you can buy pre-cut, and um, then classes that are paper piecing and more difficult. I'm, I've seen her quilts. I actually some of them. I'm like, ha. I actually brought one of the most simplest that. quilts that you helped to make. I did. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And I brought a big one to show what what you can learn how to do. But, awesome. Know, show those at the end. Okay, good. So um, my. One of the last questions I have for you, when we first talked about this, you told me about your philosophy and how your space is a no-judgment zone. So I'm going to ask you to say a little bit about that. It is. I, I offer, my space is a small space. It's not a whole lot bigger. Well, yeah, you, can't, little, you guys can't see the rest yeah. of the room, but it's not a whole it's lot little. bigger than the rest <laughs> of this room. And um, it, it, we can fit six students in there comfortably. Um, four students is even better because you have more space to work. but So you get four or five women together, and they're going to talk, 
And, you know, what happens in the masquerade stays in the masquerade. It's like Vegas, baby. (laughs) It is. And people feel comfortable. They're coming into my home, and it's a comfortable space. You're creating a comfortable, safe environment for women to open up. Absolutely. And not only just open up from themselves, but they're learning to create something. And when you learn, when you're being artistic, people say, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I can't do that. But everybody's got it in there somewhere. You have two sides to your brain, and one of them is artistic. Maybe it's sleeping right now, but it's there. And if you come into the space and you learn baby steps, a little bit at a time, how to do something, you start to open up and you start to feel freer. And I think because you're not in that thinking part of your brain so much. It's that creative part. It's that opening. It's meditative, actually. It is. And I think that you um, you tend to spill your feelings at the same time. You know, you, you're spilling it into your project, but you're spilling it verbally amongst each other. And it's good to have conversation. Yeah, it's good to have conversation. And, and, and it's free, freeing. It's freeing. It, it's like meditating. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's comfortable and it's fun and we laugh a lot and cry sometimes and um, you'd be surprised how many cancer survivors I find walk into my studio and they didn't know I was a cancer survivor when they walked in and they weren't about to divulge the information and somehow it comes out sometimes during the conversation and right. and um, it's freeing. It's very, I keep saying that, it's freeing, but it is. But that's clearly something that you're feeling in your body. I am, yeah. And a message that I'm sensing that you bring to other people who come in and use your space. I think so too. Give I think people to be free. People don't really know about me. I don't advertise much it's mostly word of mouth mm-hmm. but um, when somebody does walk in for the first time um, you know I've got a, a sensey warmer going and there's like it smells like baked apple pie yeah, and there's so much to look at or something and there's all those colorful quilts so around. many colors it's just so comfortable and it's warm and inviting and and I think people are like wow when's your next class yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to get them in but once they're there they want to come back exactly. and it's a fun place to be and so I I'm you know I have all these people that come in for alterations, now I need the same amount of people that want to learn how to quilt. And right. so that's kind of where I'm going for my retirement is away from the everyday alterations zippers and, and zippers hems. and hems, um, bridezillas. It's, it's, I'm looking at wanting to just quilt my life away. Not life away, but gotcha. quilt until I drop. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I want to do. And I want to teach people. It makes me happy. It makes them happy. I don't need negative in my life, you know, and sometimes there's negative when you're looking at the other stuff I do. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's all good. Would you like to show us what you brought today? I do. So That's exciting. I didn't one, know you were bringing samples. I did. Well, so, Shauna, you helped me make this. Wow. Now, I didn't do all that work. Uh, these colors down here look very familiar to me. Here, hold up a corner. Okay. See that? It's just strips. Yeah, so I I know I sewed like three of these together on one of your antique machines. And like I said, those colors down there, the green, the blue, and the purple, those look look really familiar. Yep. So everybody sewed a few together. And then some people sewed the groups of the few together. And then I put the border around it. And now I'm going to actually turn it into a small quilt that can be donated to, to Project Linus, which is another thing, another charitable thing I want to be doing you know so so I'm going to ask you to send me all the charities that you work for and I'm going to put that with the post when we when we we post the um sure this episode wow that is so pretty so that's that 
You helped. I took part in that. You did. Don't you feel good? I do. (laughs) I know how to do this stuff. Like I said before, it's just my life is kind of going this way. But I have had this. Now this one's probably too big to show. Feeling of making a quilt for my bed because I'm not liking the ones that I'm seeing in the store. (laughs) And that's really simple. And I do other really simple patterns too that are great for beginners. Right. But if you're a more advanced quilter and you want to learn how to do something else, I'm teaching how to do a paper piecing. This is so huge. I don't oh know if I can even get this all on camera. Wow. I'm going to stand up. Look, I'll stand up with you. I think we might be able to get this to show. Look at that. <laughs> that is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. No way. This is like advanced quilting. Here. This is advanced quilting. It's paper piecing, but there are paper piecing patterns that are beginner patterns that you would start to learn with. Like there are even paper piecing patterns that you could learn how to do as a beginner that's never really made a whole quilt. So wow. you can, there are so many ranges, so many ranges. It, it doesn't, have to, doesn't have to be big and huge. But I have quilters that have done paper piecing for their, for, this is all applique. Wow. This was sewn on by hand. These, um, these colorful points are pieced right into the quilt. But these other things, the leaves and the little buds were hand sewn on afterwards, so that's uh, applique. Wow. But, yeah, there's so many different Ooh. kinds of quilting you can do. And um, during the summer, last summer, I did a, um, a Thursday quilt day um, for evenings and afternoons, and I couldn't find anybody that wanted to come during the day. It's hard. It's so hard. Um, unless you're retired or right. you're an at-home mom that, that, you know, kids are in school and they want to keep busy during the day. So I do my quilting classes on weekends because that's when most people are available. Right. Um, or nights, but people are tired after work and they w- don't want to come do it at night. But I'm so flexible. I can, you know, if somebody had a friend and they both wanted to learn how to do it, they could pick a time. And if I'm available that time, I'll teach them. So, you know? so my, my, hours, my hours are so flexible. Okay. I say that I'm 10 to 6, Monday through Friday, that I have Tuesdays off um, and, and Saturday it, again, it's like early, 9 a.m. to noon. And then Sunday, I say I don't have any hours, but that's not true. But you're flexible. I have people way. come in on Sundays. I have people come in Saturday nights. I have people come in at 10 o'clock at night because they need to drop something off, you know. So right. I, I'm flexible. Okay. I'm all flexible. It's all about getting in touch with me, and we make it work. Somehow and that was going to be work. my next question. How can people get in touch with you? And I will post this on social media when I post the links to the site. Um, they can get in touch with me via email at themasqueradenh.gmail.com. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. So the masquerade nh at gmail.com. gmail.com. Um, they can see me on YouTube. Your YouTube channel is? YouTube.com slash C slash the masquerade. C slash the masquerade. The little letter C okay. slash the masquerade. Lowercase. Great. Yep, that's my channel. And um, where I have tutorials, I have a fun project series I put up there. I have about... I'm 22 people away from 11,000 followers, Fabulous. subscribers, 11,000 subscribers. So if 22 people of you are out there and want to subscribe, <laughs> subscribe, one of you might be the 11,000th. So um, I have that going on and people follow the, the fun project series and they can see tutorials on how to start a quilt and finish a quilt and Great. bind a quilt and all the things you need to know about quilting. But, but the fun project isn't just quilting, it's other projects too. Usually something involved with textiles because 
that's what I just want my hands on things. <laughs> and what about social media? And social media, I'm on Facebook. You can find me. I'm at the Masquerade NH on on Facebook, and uh, I have an Instagram account. Again, it's also the Masquerade NH. I have to do that because there's a masquerade in Louisiana somewhere that's a caterer. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so when I <clears throat> when I um, signed up with the state as the masquerade, I had to add words to my name, and I became the masquerade costumes and quilts. Got it. Because of this other company in the country. And Donna is located in Salem, New Hampshire. I'm going to read this before we end. This is a quote that Donna had in her bio, and I'm going to read this in the first person. I think waking up every day and doing the thing I love, putting all my feeling into the process and stepping away from the daily grind is the healthiest way to live my life. That's right. How beautiful is that? It's my life. It's beautiful. Donna, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it was a blast. And congratulations on 21 years yes. being cancer-free. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful that um, that you chose this day to come and record. I, I am too. When I saw it on your calendar, <coughs> I chose it for a reason. It's a good Beautiful. day. It's a monumental day. It's sure one to, is. One to celebrate. So thank you all for being here. You can find me on social media, Shauna Gulbrand. I really, I've looked it up. I've Googled it. I'm the only Shauna Gulbrand in the world. So <laughs> if you look up Shauna Gulbrand, you'll find me. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you listening and watching. I wanted to say something. I'm not sure what I want to say. Live life to the fullest. Absolutely. And sometimes it's okay to just breathe. It is. Put a smile on your face yeah. in the morning. Present moment awareness. Thank you all so much, and I will see you on our next episode of Hawks and Lavender Rose.